Well, good morning, church. I'll say, bless the Lord if you'll say, oh, my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. It's good to be here this morning. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, I'm delighted to be able to assist Dr. Mike Glenn in the preaching and teaching ministry. And I am grateful that he asked me to do so most of the time. We're in a series called True North, and we're trying to hit some hard-hitting, sensitive, dynamic, cultural issues that there's not a lot of real good conversation going on around right now. And so it was about a month ago, we're hanging out in Mike's office, we're planning Sunday services. He says, hey, Chris, I think Labor Day weekend I'm going to be out. Will you go ahead and preach? I'm like, absolutely. Take the weekend off. Watch your Alabama game stress-free. Watch you guys miss field goals. It's fine. But you have a... I bless you in the name of Jesus. Great. Also, what well, we have scheduled preaching that week. Let's not do that. Why don't you go ahead and take Jesus, gender, and transgenderism? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Walking down the hall back to my office and thinking either one or two things just happened. Mike Glenn loves me. He trusts me, and he thinks I can handle a difficult topic with sensitivity and biblical accuracy. Wow. Or <laughs> he hates me. <laughs> and he has asked me to walk the plank in front of all of you. <laughs> because secretly, he's mad he gave me Kairos, and he wants it back. Regardless, I am delighted to be a part of a church that is consistently trying to address a constantly changing culture with the Word of God that does not change. I am glad that we have decided our mission is to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody, regardless of what that anybody is struggling with or walking through. But like it or not, church, the issue of gender identity is upon us. Now, for those of you who just got really, really nervous, and especially those of you who have children here, I just want to make you this promise. I'm not going to talk any differently than I would talk to my own children. I also make you this promise. If you're not talking to your children about it, someone else is. Like it or not, the issue of gender identity is upon us. I'm grateful for um, John Tyson and uh, other resources that were helping bring me up to speed culturally and also biblically around this issue. Let me just um, give you some of the temperature that's out there right now. Here's Time Magazine not too long ago asking the question, have we reached the transgender tipping point? I think we'll get that in a second. Here's the Boy Scouts entering in their first transgender scout. Vogue magazine has its first transgender model on the cover. And in a controversial move, the ESPYs awarded Caitlyn Jenner the Author Ash Award for Courage. Australia has named its first transgender clergy member. And National Geographic has two issues dedicated to the gender revolution. Currently, right now, if you go on Facebook, you will have 71 options underneath gender. 
like it or not, the issue of gender identity is upon us. Now, you may be saying, Chris, seriously, how many people were we talking about, right? That's just all those libs out in California, okay, right? We're in Middle Tennessee, God's country. We're okay, right? 0.003% of the population experiences gender dysphoria. Take that with the United States Census. That's about 700,000 people. Chances are it's a little bit higher due to the fact that if they identify that they're experiencing gender confusion, uh, there's higher rates of depression and suicide, and all too many times, their family and even their church family are not too excited or welcoming about the prospect of you having issues. True. We got no problems when people sin. They just better not sin differently than us. So the question is, what do we do as we move forward? So you heard those statistics. Let me give you another one. 100% of you in this room are responsible for engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, anyplace. 100% of you sitting in this room better have a biblical, compassionate, convicting answer when it happens and someone approaches you and asks you to give you a reason for your faith because those are not just statistics. Those are people who are made in the image of God and who have eternal value because Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. And the tempting part, and a lot of the things that the church, as we need to repent of, especially when it comes to issues like this, is all too often time our response has not been the love of Christ, but it was self-condemning snickers, condescending laughs and jokes, and looks of disgust. And that's fine and good. Actually, it's not fine and good. That was a verbal filler, and I did not mean that. Until, like me, you're at supper club, and you're with your friends who you've done life with for about the past 10 or 15 years. You're catching up. You check one of the dads. You want to check in on him because you know that his teenage daughter's been dealing with depression and a little bit of self-harm. Hey, buddy, how's your girl doing? And he fights back tears. And his voice begins to quiver. He says, we finally decided to get help. Went to see somebody in their office, and after an hour intake with my daughter, he came out and told my wife and I, I don't think your daughter is a girl. I think she's a boy. Church, in these moments, it is absolutely crucial and critical. Not only how we respond, but what we'll say when we respond to be full of the compassion and conviction of Jesus, to speak truth and love into those moments that are incredibly confusing and disorienting, and how to stay in relationship with the individual, but also have the responsibility to lead them to the feet of Jesus. We're in a series called True North. Jesus is our true north. We're calibrating our compass towards him. So let's calibrate our compass towards the word of God. Would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word? We'll be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 9. John chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Let me pray for you as we're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say the words that ravage your heart. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. 
And yet the world, he came to the, was his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. Those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent, nor the will of the flesh, or the will of a man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. So that's Jesus. He's the revealed person of God the Father. He comes in with his compass calibrated towards the kingdom of God. It's running off the polarity and magnetic fields of God's mystery and his majesty. And it's saying that one of the primary ways that you express the will of God and the way of God is that when you come and you illuminate with grace and truth. It's grace and truth. It's kindness and it's conviction. Because that's what the world is looking for people who can take this word and incarnate in front of them because what happens when you're the only scripture your neighbors are reading? What happens when you're the only worship song they'll ever hear sung over you by the way that you live your life? And we're committed to the word of God here. We want to preach the Bible clearly. And so let's just remind ourselves, full of grace and truth, uh, in Genesis chapter 5 when it comes to gender, God and in Ephesians 5 in the New Testament, Genesis chapter 3, and Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. I would say it this way. Gender was designed to display the glory and goodness of God. Gender was designed, male and female, to display the glory and goodness of God. In Revelation chapter 21, you also find a reminder that us as the church is the bride of Christ and we will be reunited with him at the wedding feast and marriage supper of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Gender was designed to display the glory and goodness of God. But when we're talking about people who are dealing with gender dysphoria, that's different than biological sex. Gender is actually the social, psychological, and cultural constructs we put around the expression of our biological sex. I really feel like a professor right now. Did we catch all that? <laughs> okay. There, there are certain times and places where what a man does is expected this way, what a woman does is expected this way, and it, sometimes it changes even within God's guidelines and expressions. Biblical case in point. Judges chapter 4. Deborah, female, in a male patriarchal society assumes two roles usually reserved for men, judge and military leader with the favor and blessing of God to advance the kingdom of God. She broke gender stereotypes within God's will to display and design the glory of his goodness. That was his gender. Another example, Genesis chapter 25, Jacob, our patriarch of the faith, Abraham's son, right? Esau was a man's man. Big, burly, hairy, hunter, boom, mm, me like a food, yeah. Right? How to describe Jacob, who the blessing was passed down through. He liked to stay in the tents in the air conditioning. <laughs> He's close to his mama. He liked to cook. And I submit to you that he was fully a man in God's will, even though he was breaking gender stereotypes of his day and his age. Now, 
I, don't hear me. I'm, I'm not advocating. I'm just expanding our understanding of God's guidelines so that we can see a way forward and make sure we're not dying in the wrong ditch, men and women. Okay, because it, it's changing fast out there. Yeah, understand this. I am a man and I am honored to be able to display God's glory and goodness in my family, at my work, and in my community. But you tell, try, try telling my wife that we're not breaking gender stereotypes and that's just she's the one that does the cooking and the cleaning and the bathing and watching the kids and the laundry. And I'll stand back and watch as she breaks that gender stereotype and you in the process <laughs> as she submissively tells you that my role is to love her as Christ loved the church and Jesus himself bathed the disciples' feet so the least I can do is bathe their own children. <laughs> we got some freedom in here, do we? Or are we using outdated industrial revolutionary times, gender stereotypes to advocate for our laziness in serving one another? Industrial revolution is when the men went off to the factories and the women stayed home and this division in labor came in. Try telling a pioneer family that the woman doesn't work or that the man doesn't help take care of the children. So we gotta figure this middle ground out. <laughs> my wife and I are trying to constantly figure it out. We're leaving my manhood intact. Um, we, just, we just bought a fixer-upper a couple years ago. It's completed. It's never really completed, but it, it's, we're, it's fine. We're out of money. Um, that's completed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people come over. I get really excited because this is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. My chest goes out. My voice drops a couple octaves, and I start taking them through the tour. Uh, yeah, here's where we knocked out some walls, painted all those walls, ripped up that subfloor right there that was rotten out, ripped up that carpet, put down that tile, cut, sanded, measured, nailed, stained all those hardwoods. Isn't it awesome? And you'll watch by the time we're done, man, eyebrows go up, nods of approval, sometimes even a silent wow. <laughs> and then I just get slaps on the back as we're walking out. You guys have done a great job. And then I mic drop it. Yeah, my wife did every single part of it. I just watched the kids. <laughs> I am man, hear me roar. Right? There is freedom within God's guidelines. How he's uniquely created each one of us to find expression in the kingdom of God, in our marriages, to serve and elevate one another. There's no one on planet earth that is more for my wife's femininity and leadership and her flourishing as God created her to be. And there's no one on planet earth that's more for me to step into what it means to be a man, to lead, love, serve, and sacrifice for our family. Because gender was designed to display the glory and goodness of God. But what do we say when it happens? when it obviously crosses over God's guidelines. When we get to that place where it fails to display his glory and his goodness. Well, I would submit to you, I want to give us a visual way of thinking about this because we're in a True North series. It's going to keep coming, by the way. The temperature is going to keep getting turned up. We need to talk about racial reconciliation. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about sexual orientation. We're going to talk about technology. My kids have already put a reminder in their phones to be sick that Sunday. So we've got we've to hit some of this stuff head on. That was not necessary. But this is a visual way I want to give it because I want us to be the incarnation of this text. That when we walk in a room, we illuminate it because the true light is in us and we are full of grace and truth. And we can reflect the Father. 
So I've got a slide for you. Here's how we're going to visually think about it. We're going to put an X axis and a Y axis up, and we're going to use the word conviction and kindness. That's grace and truth, but it gets a little bit wonky because one of the gross, graceful things you can do sometimes is tell the truth, and the truth is always graceful. So uh, let's use conviction and kindness. Are we clear on what those words mean? Like, yes, stick to the truth. And, hey, let's be nice to people. That's what I mean by that. So there's high conviction, high kindness. And we're going to see where it is that we as a church are and how we can get to where Jesus is calling us to be. Okay? Based off of your personality, your upbringing, your education, uh, your own personal brokenness, your own brand of Christianity, usually we tend higher on one of these than the other. So there's a lot of us that we trend high on conviction, but yeah, kindness is for people with the gift of mercy. Things I've heard said out loud. <laughs> Those of us who are high on kindness, we tend to be a little bit low on conviction. And by the way, we're always thinking our expression is the best expression of Jesus. But grace and truth were meant to go together. Jesus showed us how to do it, and we can do it too. So if you're high kindness, I'm going to pick on you first. Um, and you're, because you won't fight back. I'm just kidding. It's too soon, too soon. Uh, <laughs> if you're high kindness and low conviction, the best thing that you can do is enable people. You're going to love them all the way through it, but you're going to enable them to continue to do what they're doing. Because for you, conviction is a synonym for condemnation. And your favorite scripture is, judge not lest you be judged. Or God's kindness leads us to repentance. And your motto is, in love, there is no wrong. In love, there is no wrong. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Although it's not, that's a direct quote from Charles Manson on his murder trial. So maybe we need a different way to think about it. Well, in response to that, man, some people are just low kindness and low conviction, all right? You're like, hey, man, that stuff, I tried it early on. It's just too costly. The world is so chaotic. It's spinning off its moral axis. I don't care about in it and not of it. I just want out of it. And so I'm just going to endure. That's what people who are low kindness, they're, they're just going to endure. You're going to close the drapes, lock the front door, turn the TV off, put your head over the covers. Your favorite scripture is, how long, oh, Lord, how long? Come, Lord Jesus, return soon, please. Your motto is, if we don't talk about it, then it's not a problem. I just described 50% of your dysfunctional upbringing in your family of origin. You can live by that motto, but eventually you'll be knocking on my door. Because not talking about it, it actually becomes a problem. And that's what oppressors are counting on. When you're simply enduring, I think you just have the philosophy, right? The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. So why should I risk reaching out my hand and getting it burned in the process? Let's just endure. But maybe your high conviction, right? You decide, I'm going to hold on to this truth. So the problem with that is chances are most of the time, high conviction people, you're enraged all the time. You're angry. Your favorite scripture is anything in the Old Testament that has the wrath of God and abomination in the same sentence. <laughs> Love it. Bring that wrath of God. Get them people in line. 
Kindness, that's a synonym for compromise, which is a synonym for weakness. We don't do that stuff. Uh-uh. Your motto is hate the sin and then punish the sinner in the process. Uh-uh, you come galloping in on your high horse with your high standards and your high convictions and you tread out the grapes of wrath. You don't care all the carnage in your war of words. You don't care who gets killed. Get out of the way. I've got the way. What if there was a different way? What if based off the authority of God's word, the church could be different in the ever-changing culture? What if, instead of being angry all the time or enraged all the time, we reflected our Father in heaven who is slow to anger, slow to wrath, and abounding in steadfast love for generation after generation? What if, instead of just enduring and locking the doors to our Christian ghettos, we decided to be in the world, but not of it? What if instead of us just simply enabling people all around us in the name of kindness, we actually decided to speak truth and love when we see someone hurting themselves and doing things that are eventually going to hurt others as well. That we decided to have grace and truth, kindness and conviction, mercy and justice, to be a Micah 6, a congregation that decides I'm going to do justice, love mercy, and walk with God. Then and only then I submit to you, church, will we be able to engage Engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody who's walking through anything. I don't care what label you put on it, but we are light bearers and image bearers of the risen and resurrected Jesus. So we come into a situation and we speak truth and love. We are full of grace and truth. We are patient and we are present and we trust him ultimately to redeem and resurrect all things. It's not my job to fix every single thing. I make room for the Holy Spirit because this is not about my personal pride. It's about your future destiny. And I trust Jesus in all things. Now, you don't have to do that. And chances are a lot of you won't. Because it's like muscle memory. It'll just go back, things will get stressful, and you'll be the high conviction person or the high kindness person, and you'll just go, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to step into that. I am who I am. I'm not changing at this point. And you can do that. And that's fine. Here's what's at stake. 15, 20 years, people are going to drive down 65 and go, what's that right there? Oh, it's a whitewashed tomb, sarcophagus, church that lost its pastoral and prophetic voice in the community. Did nothing about it. We'll slowly fade. Sure, we'll probably still have services, but this will be full of dead men and women's bones. Or we could step into grace and truth, lean into our weak areas. Because I'll submit to you, church, that's not just for how we reach those outside of these walls. In the coming weeks and years to come, it's exactly how we need to treat each other inside the walls. Because we've got a future to play. And we have an enemy who wants to sabotage that. And do you know the primary way that he sabotages things? From within. 
We gotta watch out for divisiveness. We gotta watch out for factions. We gotta learn to be quick to forgive, quick to hear, slow to anger, slow to wrath, to stay unified no matter what, to put personal preferences aside for the sake of the mission, to stay unified so that we can step into the future that God is calling us to and not only step into it, realize that he is trusting us with it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's just take a minute and pray and reflect. Think about those quadrants I gave you. Where are you at? And if you don't know, just ask your spouse or your kids. They'll tell you. If you're a single person, come talk to me. We'll talk. Your friends know. What would it take for you to move up into high conviction and high kindness? What would it take for you to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ? Anywhere anytime with anybody. You're welcome at this time to come forward and pray for someone you know that you need to engage with in a different way, that maybe you've been high conviction and you need to be a little bit more on the kindness, or someone you need to pray about having a strong conversation with. And you need to speak truth and love and leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Maybe you're at a place where you're ready to finally join the church and Align your membership here and not just attend. Get involved in the context of community. Or you've heard the gospel preached clearly and want to respond. Whatever it is, let's lean in and listen. I want you to respond as you're led. Let's pray. Jesus, our hearts are open. You came here full of grace and truth. Would that grace and truth lead us to be people of kindness and conviction, regardless of the issues? Listen as we pray. Turn your ear and be gracious to us. Show us the wonders of your steadfast love. Amen.